So today we are continuing our We Believe series. And if, uh, if you were here last week, you may remember Ashley saying that until we get to the month of August, we're going to be talking about Jesus. I heard one, woo! Till August, we're going to be talking about Jesus. Come on. Okay. And today, Tim is going to continue. Uh, and if you would, settle your hearts. If you know this refrain, sing it out. If you don't, I'll sing it one time, and then you'll get it, maybe. My soul, my soul, magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. He has done great things for me, great things for me. My soul, my soul, magnifies the Lord. internalized. So way to go, Ellie. I mean, that's, that's incredible. 
And that, that is some of the fruit, actually, of um, our formation school. Uh, Ellie's dad, Ben, was part of our formation school cohort a few years ago, and this project was uh, envisioned, and, and here you go. So if you want to sign up for that, I would, or hear more, I would love to talk with you more about that. Applications are due August 1st, and we'll be kicking off in September. Check out marshall.org slash formation school for more information there. And if we haven't met, my name's Tim. Uh, one of the pastors here, it's great to see you all, great to meet you. And we are in our uh, Apostles' Creed series. So if you're joining us in person, so it's great to see all of you. And then also online, we're in week four of walking through this, this ancient document that gives shape and vibrancy and picture to our faith. And so as we have every week, I'm just going to invite us to say out loud to proclaim and join our voices in what we have processed through of the creed so far, okay? Why don't we stand to do this? And it'll be on the screen here in a second. Oh, it is up. Okay. Good to know. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> it's a good thing I've had this memorized since age seven. All right. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Amen. You may be seated. Conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Both this line of the creed and the corresponding birth stories of Jesus out of Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1 were confusing and confounding to me at a young age. Let me tell you a little bit of why. Growing up, maybe your household talked like openly about biology and terminology and sex and those type of things. Mine really didn't so much. And so I encountered the creed and the Christmas story far before I had any concept of what was going on. This proved problematic because, like last week, Ashley saying that Christ was not Jesus' last name, Virgin is not Mary's first name. But it was, well, my grandma's first name was Virginia. And Virginia Meek, actually, is what it was. And so Virgin Mary, Virginia Meek, you can tell. And I was, when I was this high, it was confusing. And so I just eventually began to conflate the two and realize, like, yeah, yeah, my grandma, she is Mary, she gave birth to Jesus. And, I, and so I lived in this reality for a short period, thankfully, until I said one day to my grandma, I don't think you're quite that old. And which she didn't hit me, she just patted my head and said, you're right. But the confusion continued, because I didn't have vocab for this sort of thing. And so I eventually just thought, uh, Virginia was a shortened nickname or a lengthened nickname of Virgin, and that they were somehow, my grandma was named after Mary. And so, lest not the confusion continue, let's just talk pretty plainly about what's happening here in the Creed and in Matthew 1 and Luke 1, shall we? Great. What they're saying is that Mary, this, this Jewish peasant girl, became pregnant with a baby without the physical or sexual involvement of a human man. 
is miraculous. In fact, it's incredible. And that happened by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Mary uh, was a virgin, which was not in uh, reference to her first name, nor my grandmother's name, but it was an identifier that they put on her that she had never, never been with a man in that way. Because that's how babies are made traditionally, but not in this case. You can have follow-up conversations later if you need to. But there is some scholarly pushback to this. As opposed to saying Virgin Mary, maybe Mary is the focal point of this. That it's Mary the Virgin. Well, that's important. Her cooperation with the Spirit as a human being, I think, is what the creed is pointing to here. Alongside miraculous birth that remains mystery. You see, Mary is highlighted here for cooperating and co-creating with God. In this phrase this week, and then in next week's, which is equally as short, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried in the creed, we have the mention of two human beings. The only two people who, who prominently feature in the Apostles' Creed. Mary and Pilate. It seems to be highlighting that one, his exit and entry into this world are miraculous. That there's something mysterious happening when Christ comes and leaves. And I think it highlights for us too that humanity does play a role. That particularly Mary who cooperates with the Holy Spirit ushers in life and Pilate who can't quite wrap his mind around what Jesus is all about, ushers in death, or so he thinks. So what exactly then is this line, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, what is this saying to us? And what are the, the texts, Matthew 1, Luke 1, that, that have the birth narratives, what are they saying to us today? What are they trying to communicate to us? I, I think it's three particular things today. One, that God is doing something God has always done. Two, that God is doing something unique in history. And three, that God is inviting us to participate, to be a part of this story. So let's dive right in. God is doing what God has always done. The Holy Spirit in this story is creating life in Mary where there was no life. Mary becomes pregnant. And in some ways, we, we have this, this view of these texts shaped by, shaped by 21st century conundrums and paternity tests. And that was an issue. But I think what the readers of these initial stories and the speakers of the creed are doing is pointing to something deeper. The original readers are captured by another story that's not about sex, but in here biology is interpreted theologically. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 1. If you have a shed Bible, which I, you can have in your hands now, right? This is pretty amazing. It's on page 8. 189. And we'll have some words on the screen too. 
This is the beginning chapter of Matthew, where we get one of the birth narratives of Jesus. It tells us a little about what's going on here. Verse 1 opens with this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. If you have another different translation on your phone or in your hands, it may say this is the account of the origin of. This is the genealogy. And like you would imagine, the genealogy is what follows, right? This person, the son of this person, son of this person, son of this person, are the next like 17 verses. Talking about how Jesus is tied to the line of David, like we sang about earlier. It's important to know that, that Matthew's trying to say he's coming from somewhere. And then we go to, to the end of the genealogy, verse 18. If you fast forward down there, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. These two words are highlighted on our screen, genealogy or origin and birth, because there are five or six different words in the Greek language that Matthew could have used to signify something actually probably more specific, like genealogy or birth. But I think Matthew is pointing us to how God has done something that God is doing again. That what God is doing in Jesus, God has always been doing. And so this word in Greek uh, it is genesis. Genealogy, birth, origin, genesis, genesis, genesis. And so we, like the first century hearers, follow the breadcrumbs and say, wait a minute, wait, wait. He could have used tons of different words, but Matthew's pointing backwards to something to say that what God is doing in Jesus, God has always done. So let's turn with him to Genesis chapter 1. This is an easy one. It's on page 3 in your Shed Bible. And on the screen here, Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We just came from a story where the Spirit was hovering over Mary and creating new life where there was no life. And that author is pointing us back to this story where the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep, which is watery, formless, and empty. And then I mentioned that the ancient Hebrews saw the womb as the spiraling waters. And so what God has been doing forever, God is doing again in Jesus. At the beginning, at the genesis, at the origin, God is initiating action that brings forth life where there was no life. That the womb of the world paralleled with Mary's in which the work of God is cooperating to bring new life, living word from living word. God, the creator God, and Mary was doing what God has always done. Bringing order to chaos, filling emptiness and creating new life. 
So conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, we know that God is remaking the world as the Spirit hovers over the waters. New life comes from the waters, much like as we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That new life comes and what God has been doing, God is doing again. It's God's consistent character on display. And yet God is doing something unique in history. In this line of the creed and in these birth stories point to it. In this phrase, uh, the creed is also saying that nothing quite like this has happened before. No ancient Greek or Persian or Mesopotamian or Roman God has been a part of something that is like is happening in Jesus, in Mary, with the power of the Holy Spirit. That where we see in the incarnation when God takes on flesh, the fullness of God and the fullness of humanity are becoming one being is actually totally unique, not only in our world, but especially in the ancient world when they thought about these things. In the ancient world, there were all sorts of tales of demigods, lesser gods, sons of gods, things that were partially God, had a couple drops of God blood in them. Um, and, and what the creed is saying... Well, at least three of those characters were around then. Maui, not so much, but uh, you're welcome. But the creed is affirming that what's happening in Jesus is incredibly unique. Because the ancient world would have thought, oh, there's a, there's a God-man out there. Oh, maybe it's like Hercules, where, where most of the divinity was drained out of him and he just had a drop of blood and he had to earn his way back and be adopted into uh, Zeus's family again. No, it's not what's happening in Jesus. Maybe it was like, like Zeus and Hera and that one time they came together to make... Nope, that's not what's happening in Jesus. Or maybe it was like Achilles, who had all these great powers and was like sort of a god, not really. No. That's not what's happening in Jesus. And so the creed is very specifically saying it is unlike anything that has happened before. And you have no framework for this, for the full divinity of God to be enfleshed. And so it is literally mind-blowing for these folks, and the creed wants to claim that. The creed is also pushing against some other things in their day. So it's time for your weekly heresy highlight, right? Who, who hasn't been waiting for this all week? So the creed in this phrase is pointing and pushing against uh, one early heresy called docetism. And this is where people thought, you know what? Jesus is, he just was all spirit. And he just appeared like he had a body and walked among us. But he was really just spirit, just all God and not human. But he made us think he was human. It's tricky, but no. And so the creed is saying that that's not at all what happened. Because eventually then you're like, but could he die? Could, then he could, be, could he be resurrected? Could this, doesn't work. So it's pushing against that reality. And, and that reality is tempting to us too, isn't it? To just think God is, is spiritual and just wants to appear like he cares about me, cares about this world, but it's probably just spirit. It's tempting. But the creed says no. 
The creed also pushes against the heresy of adoptionism. Right? This is where they thought that Jesus was, was fully human, only human, and then by a series of good works and goodwill by God was ushered or fully adopted into divinity, maybe at his baptism. Right? This, this is the story that we know of Hercules, but not Jesus. They would have thought that after Jesus' baptism, where he's finally adopted or finally accepted fully by God, that he's now both divine and human, and he can go off into the desert saying, I can go the distance. <laughs> but that is also not true. What's happening in Jesus and in Mary is fully unique. There is no paradigm for this, where all of God, all of humanity are joined in the person of Jesus. It's the hinge, it's, it's the linchpin in which all of this stuff hangs. Because God has taken on flesh as the, the culmination of divine love and humility. As Colossians, Colossians 1 puts it, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, fully God and fully human. And in Jesus, Mary knows that Christ, who is inside her, the Messiah, is something groundbreaking. And so she goes forth into song, as Ellie said for us. I am amazed. My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord because in her is, as we sang, wonderful counselor, mighty one, king of kings, the one in whom all creation lives and moves and has being, the one in whom all creation groans and longs for. In this, Jesus is all history and all future and all past and all power and all prophecy and participation and promise and all hope and all of humanity and all of God are found in Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Mary. All of creation history comes together in this moment and in this body. And that is why it's important that we name that this Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, the greatest power and the greatest humility come together as being carried inside of Mary. Inside of humanity is where God desires to dwell and start the work of recreation. And because of this, we can fully claim that God is inviting us to participate in this story. Imagine with me, Mary, this young girl. An angel appears to her. It says, you will give birth to Messiah, to Savior. In you is growing one that is initiated by God Almighty. And the Messiah will come from you. Can you imagine the weight of that? Mary knew because from her comes this text, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For now all generations will call me blessed. For
For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. God is inviting Mary to participate, and the weight of that is not lost on her. And so she's sitting there at the, at the hinge of history, recognizing that for thousands of years, God has been doing something like this, and that God is doing something totally unique in her. And the realization that God is inviting her to participate is what we proclaim in the creed. And parallel to that, we're saying that God is inviting humanity. God is inviting you and I to participate in that work. And so where might the Spirit of God want to bring about new life in you? Can you sense that maybe the spirit that was hovering over the waters, hovering over Mary, it wants to do something in the water of your life as well? Might this simple phrase that incorporates the first human in the creed be the trigger for us to say, God wants to do something in me too? Is there a fear or a relationship or a place that is, seems barren and empty and, and has no fruit in your life that you feel like the Spirit might be inviting you to say, could there be something new in that place? What the creed does, I think, is it, it acts like a funnel. It starts large. And so we say that from eternity, from before Genesis 1, God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, desires to create and be with humanity and to love. And so finds expression uniquely in the person of Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, who comes to be in partnership with humanity, is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, Emmanuel, God with us, has come from the Godhead to come near to you and to me. And to make it even more close, I think Jesus wants to come all the more closer and say to you and to me, maybe the question he asked the blind man in Mark chapter 10, and maybe say, what do you want me to do for you? Where does the Spirit want to bring new life in your life? We can say these things at the same time, that God is God of all time and creation and by rights needs nothing to do with us. And we, church, can affirm that the Spirit of God has come near. The Creator in Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, is inviting you and I to be a part of this story. And so the question that I hope is coming to our minds and to our hearts as we say this line of the creed is, where does the Spirit of God want to bring new life in your life? Where is there an empty, watery mess that needs new life to come out of it? We have a few moments to listen to the Spirit of God. Where do you need new life?
I'll say it again, Mark chapter 10, Jesus says to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? God has made God's self known in Jesus Christ. partner with that God? Where do you need the renewing work of the Spirit in your soul this morning? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For you, O Lord, have been merciful to us. Who are we that you would be mindful of us. Spirit, would you do a work in our lives? You who have brought forth life out of nothing, living word for living word, would you be in us and bring new life where we need it? God, we can't tame you or command you, but you, you put yourself in a place to be invited. And so for your humility, we bless you. For your healing, we bless you. May our souls magnify you this morning. We're grateful, God. And so in this same way that all of eternity collapses into the person of Jesus offered to humanity. We parallel that with, with all of celebration, creation, eternity comes down and is offered to us again at this table. And so would you rehearse this meal with me? And I say, and we say together, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Because it was Jesus, the same one, who's at the crux of history, all humanity and all divinity, gathers with his disciples on his last night here. And he takes the bread and he says, if it wasn't enough to see me as the representative of God, you see, see this and it's me and it's broken for you. He says to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. And after they were done eating, he takes this cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. we do. And so we pray, Lord God, would you send the creative and renewing spirit upon these elements and upon our hearts that you, Lord, would do what you have always done and bring life where there is no life. Would you do something also through your spirit that is unique in us in this place? you bind us together as you have bound together grain from many hills into this bread and grapes from many vines into this cup would you do that with us 
shape us and mold us, feed us and nourish us and send us to the table. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We have a chance to eat together. We have tables around the room with elements. Or if you're at home, just invite you to have whatever is around you. And trust that God's Spirit is indeed doing something and meeting us here in the watery chaos of our lives. The Spirit meets us and recreates. So take time. Let us worship and sing and eat and pray together. We do this rehearsing the narrative and the mystery of our faith. And we say this together that Christ has died. Christ is risen and Christ will come again. So friends, come. Receive who you are, the body of Christ.